0: Hello, this is the Slothy Llama Podcast, and I am Reva G. This podcast is largely about all things mindfulness, and in general, how to find more enjoyment out of life. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Hello, I am Riva G and this is a special episode of the Slothy Llama podcast as we have a guest today and his name is Brian Sparks. Brian is head of the Bay Angels, which is one of the oldest angel investing groups in the Bay Area. He is also an executive coach and an executive communication coach with Heroic Voice Academy. And he loves to share and educate about emotional intelligence in leadership, teams, and companies. Keep listening, and I hope you enjoy this interview.
1: You asked a great question. I wanted to get this recorded and documented, so I feel it's going to be really organic. So go ahead and ask your question, and we'll, we'll take yeah, it. Sure.
0: sure, yeah. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, um, what do you wish people would ask you at networking events? rather than the standard stuff that people come up with,
1: which is just, you know, what do you do? Yeah, no, actually, um, that's a good question because I know where you're going with this because in standard networking events, people ask, you know, hey, what do you do? And usually it's just like resume and LinkedIn type stuff, right? Here's what I do. But I'll usually, or try, I I forget how you and I got going, we got into such a great conversation, but usually what I'll angle it to is just what I'm passionate about. I think right from the start, we started talking about emotional intelligence, building community, the ability to connect with people, um, building culture, and so I don't care what form it comes into. I just love talking with people. So if someone just comes up to me in the most awkward, awkward fashion, on on their you know people are it's it's awkward. Like I think you and I even talked about that. Um, it, It doesn't bother me. I'll just try to answer it in the direction of what I'm passionate about and what I value, not what I necessarily do. That will then come down the line. So for you know, like I just said, it's like I love building community. I love having this chat with you. Um, and and so it'll just kind of go from there. like so so for example, Reva, I love having this conversation with you. You and I love emotional intelligence. We love community. we love people. like how can we just get together and create a community that moves forward together. So I'm passionate about that. down to the person, I love EQ emotional intelligence was help people connect. Um, and so how do you do that? It's through communication. And then so I, I I try to bottle that in executive communication. That's what I love love doing. So I'm telling you essentially what I love doing. I'm not I'm not telling you, oh, I'm head of communications for Bay Angels and I'm executive communication coach with heroic voice. I'm not t- giving you those titles. I'm telling you what I love to do. And usually the conversation kind of unfolds from there in a better in a better way. So I don't I don't care what people ask, I'm gonna tell them what I love to do.
0: <laughs> I love that, and that's super helpful for people on the side of like what do you do in that situation? And how do you answer that question, you know, in a way that's really going to serve both you and the person you're talking with? Because I try to, one of the things I try to do is I try to get postdocs and grad students, like the academics. I used to be one of them. Um, and I hated networking. It just was like, oh, I couldn't do it. Um, I, I've 180 on that one. So like, I'm very different now, but I try to get them to do these things. And it's so helpful when I can give them like, exact steps or or ways of answering or types of things to prepare for and that makes them a little bit more comfortable with like okay now I'm ready to go I I can at least prepare for this they just really like to prepare so I can can prepare what I'm passionate about and talk about that so thank you that's super helpful
1: (laughs) good good
0: Um, okay and then another topic that uh, I'm interested in is what is the most challenging, self-limiting belief that you have overcome that's kind of given you the, the biggest leap forward since you've overcome it, if you are comfortable with sharing that?
1: No, that's a great question. I'm probably one of the few people who will easily answer that. Um, so when it comes to emotional intelligence, one of the very first things I preach and try to live out is being vulnerable. Um, I know when I first got up in the startup world, this is you know 10 years ago, I, I struggled with imposter syndrome. Like who am I to take the stage in front of people who are so smart, so accomplished, and I really limited my value. I I would I would speak of a from a really kind of a weaker position, so to speak, um, and so I really struggled with that that imposter syndrome. But really, what I come to find out in a community of specialists, I, the more they need others. So, so, for example, um, I got my start really kind of in biotech. And I'll tell a story that was that really gave me a huge wake up call. Um, so sensitive ears beware this is um this is this is such a cool story, but it really blew my mind., uh, so years ago, I went to an event it was at Genentech, and it was just when I was getting in the startup world, and I was there to listen to pitches. You know, I was kind of instructed to go there. Of course, what do I know about life science at the time? I'm a calm guy, right? I like connecting. But I went and I listened and I arrived a little bit late intentionally because, you know, it's Genentech in San Francisco and it's a big event. And I I stood in the back and um, started listening to the pitches. I mean, amazing pitches, very polished. At the time, I'm thinking like, wow, this is amazing. But I didn't understand anything that they were saying. And it was really like frustrating. But I, I listened for structure. I listened for delivery. I listened for those things, right? And then a guy came in about 5 10 minutes after I got there and he kind of puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, "Hey, what what I miss?" And of course, me at the time I'm trying to sound like hey, I belong here. I go, "Oh, you've missed, you know." And I don't, I don't remember what I said at the time, but I remember I start thinking of things that would sound smart, right? And he looked at me and he goes, he leans in cuz again we're being quiet. He goes, "These things are fucking boring." And I go, in my mind, I'm like, okay, another BD guy, another people guy, right? It's it's like he's in sales. And I laughed, right? It's kind of quiet laugh. But, um, and the pitch went on. We chatted in between pitches for a little bit. And before we went on our break, the moderator who would come to the stage and introduce everybody pointed him out in the stage, the guy who was with me, and introduced him as one of the biggest investors that come to these Genentech events. And it blew my mind, right? How unassuming he was. And yet then at the same time, the way that he talked about these people, right? That lived in silos and le- wanted to, had to learn how to communicate these ideas. And though it may not really be fitting to what you ask me right now, like, how, you know, um, what was my biggest um, obstacle co- overcoming my limiting thinking? It made me realize in hindsight, like, wow, we all have our unique strengths. We all have our weaknesses. And to overcome our weaknesses, we rely on others' strengths. And for them to overcome their weaknesses, they rely on us for our strengths. And when you find your place, and it doesn't necessarily mean getting smarter. It doesn't mean necessarily meeting new people. When you find your strengths and you fit in the right place, your heart comes alive. Your sense of fulfillment comes alive. And people gravitate towards you. And so it was that awakening through a series of experiences that made me realize, wow, I've had limiting beliefs. But through connecting my head and the heart and being in the right place of what I'm supposed to be doing, it melts away like butter.
0: I love that. That is, that is, you answered it very well. (laughs) That's perfect. I mean, I think a lot of us do struggle with the imposter syndrome with the, all these other things, but I feel, I really feel what you're saying with kind of like finding your right place and all of it. And instead of focusing on all of the problems that we have and all of the, the things we lack or all of the things we are yet to overcome, just knowing that when you're in the right context of life, you're kind of just going to, feel right into it. And your heart's just going to take you across the line anyways, because you're in the right position for whatever it is with the resources you have. So that's really reassuring and kind of comforting. (laughs) And the opposite of what I hear a lot of with like kind of the self-development world where it's, well, self-development isn't bad per se, but there is a lot of focus on what's broken, what's wrong with you. So I really appreciate that perspective of it being more just like you're actually good. <laughs> when you're in the right place, you'll shine. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, honoring your like you have strengths. Like there are things that I, you know, as I get to know you, I'd be like, wow, Reva really has a strength in this area. And I'd know it would complement my weaknesses. And I believe that about everybody. And so if you're honoring others' strengths, if you're honoring um people's presence with gratitude, um, you naturally find that click, that click space, right? Where you just Oh, there it is. And you move forward better together than you do individually. So it, I struggled at a younger age being very judgmental. I was very competitive, like growing up in sports, very competitive. And so I saw everyone is like, you know, my my enemy, the one to, to overcome, to beat, do better. And there's nothing wrong with that in again context. But if I don't first honor those I'm competing with, then I'll never really take the battle battlefield at my best.
0: That's really valuable to hear too. And just curious, what sports were you involved in or were your, were your favorite at least? I go
1: yeah. geez, I played everything. So I did a lot with my dad too. So i love football and baseball. Uh, okay. I did basketball, archery, motorcycle, across, motocross motocross. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of came up in that environment when I got to try a lot of different things.
0: Gotcha. So now is your, is your, uh, what was it? You do, um, biking but like more like mountain biking that kind of stuff is that kind of like your come down from the motorcycle days
1: oh yeah you remember that so now i do love mountain biking yeah i love hiking i love being outdoors um i I think if if i'm going to do stuff to unwind that's that's what i would do and of course you know family and friends are always a good a good good thing to touch base with very routinely
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, one of one of the things I was going to ask you about it has to do with that that um, heart mind connection that I've heard you talk about it in each each time I've gotten a chance to speak with you now and well both times <laughs> and it intrigued me the first time I heard it and it's it's stuck with me. I'm curious when you, when you work with people, when you, and I've done a lot of, you know, digging in your videos, I just haven't had a chance to catch the ones with this topic yet. I'm sure they're there. Um, but what is it that you do with people or how do you help people connect the heart to the mind of the receiver of their message? So if if you're trying to help someone else communicate their pitch or their, company their whatever they're passionate about to an audience how i remember you mentioning the best way first to find success in that event is really to connect the mind to the heart of the listener and i'm wondering what tricks tips things you know you try to help people do to accomplish that
1: yeah i wish i could put it on a t-shirt but it's really not that easy right <laughs> um but when you're thinking about the individual, like if I was presenting or even just communicating with you, um, there's two things I really think about in connecting with an audience, head and heart, is number one, where are the points of relatability? Like you and I, again, connected in a space of emotional intelligence. We connected with networking. You came up to me being vulnerable. You said, I'm not, into these things. I, Brian was with you. No, not this Brian, but another Brian was with you. And he said that you were just really being vulnerable. And so we related to that. And so when you're, whether you're talking in a networking event or, um, you know, trying to connect with an audience, you need to find points of relatability. And that there's a list of different things you can do. I mean, in, in, a, in a dialogue, right, with you and I, we can explore and it can be spontaneous. But when you take the stage, you got to do your homework. And and when you do your homework, um, and i want to say this piece, because when you do your homework, you then know the market or the segment of the audience that you're going after. So for example, there may be people in the audience who are into emotional intelligence, but there also may be a part of it who are in the audience for other reasons, and you may not land with them. And you have to be okay with that. Um, If we don't have that distinction, if we don't put it in that container, then if someone heckles us or (laughs) we get bad feedback that we didn't expect, it could really like stick with you and not really encourage you to take the stage again. And so relatability is really important to make a connection and and it does two things. One, when you're when you're seeking relatability with someone else and you're focusing on someone someone else and trying to understand them, the second thing that happens is you take the focus off of yourself and you you lose a lot of that nervousness and fear and insecurity. too often when we're focusing on ourselves, And, like, how am I landing? You know, is this good enough? That's where the fear really comes in and stage fright and, you know, uncertainty and doubt. But when you're really trying to figure out someone else, you find the relatability. The other piece, the head heart, I mean, you can think through that. The heart piece is really empathy. And, oh, my God, Riva, I could go down a rabbit hole of empathy when it comes um, to that space. And I think empathy is something you really learn through first self awareness when you know what it's like to immerse yourself in emotions and experiences and allow yourself to feel that, then you can naturally understand what people, others can go through that as well. And so this takes coaching. Like I said, I wish there was a magic bullet point to go, Oh, here it is on a t-shirt, but it's really walking through practices of relatability and practices of self-awareness. Like, what am I feeling now? Like, where's this coming from? You know, uh, what is this emotion? Where is it in my body? I'm, I'm reading a great book right now called The Body Keeps Score. I think I even mentioned it to you. Uh, it's called body, The Body Keeps Score. And and the head and the body are totally connected. So we just don't experience emotions up here. It's in the body. And so when you can really identify where these emotions, you know, sit, again, it really puts things in context and allows you to stay centered despite feeling fear and sadness, because we don't want to disconnect from those things. Um, you, you want to immerse yourself because it's the, that's the connective tissue with others. When I can sit to you and say, I know, hey, Reva, I'm, I'm nervous and really scared of meeting new people. Like, I can connect with you on that space, um, or I can remember, or I even still get nervous, you know, meeting new people. You can sit in that and use it as almost like a superpower to connect with people.
0: I love hearing you talk about empathy in that manner <laughs> and part of it. So as a side note, I, am actually a very empathic person. It's, I didn't really identify as that or didn't understand it for a number of years until a, like later into adulthood. And then through a number of other people kind of confirming until explaining to me that was a thing. And for a good year, I tried to undo that Mm. (laughs) because I thought it was a weakness because it made me feel so out of control of my own experience in life because I would get so enveloped in what everybody else was feeling. So I would know too well when someone was in pain or when someone was frustrated or someone was sad that it, in my mind, I, I almost devolved it as like a, I need to get rid of this (laughs) because I'm not able to function or I'm not able to be a strong, powerful person because I'm feeling everybody else's feelings. And um, you're one of the first people. And I I realized that was a path that I, I, we go down all the paths and, and I won't blame myself for it. But I later realized it's not a bad thing and you don't have to run from it and undo it. But I don't often hear people talk about how empathy is actually a power and is actually valuable. And I am so grateful to hear you say that because you're obviously someone who's very successful and in corporate environments, which is what I used to think was like the worst place to be empathic because it was like, or have a lot of empathy because people would see you as weak or see you as someone who just, I don't know, I, I, I assigned weird stories to myself (laughs) and so I'm really grateful that to hear someone like you actually that's that's the kind of stuff that you you say these things where I'm just like a part and it's that's totally judgment on my part which I apologize and I'm I'm overcoming because I'm learning how there's all these amazing individuals in all of these environments like within the marketing side within the communication side where it's like you guys are actually you are very empathic, or you you value that, and you see that, and you try to culture and and like nurture that, and that's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I hear you, um, what you're saying is you know a lot of people do carry a similar belief um, perspective on empathy. So if you take the topic of empathy, and then you start to say, and this is a little exercise for all of us to do, and and your current belief or the ber- the belief that you shared. Is that empathy is the topic? The belief is that it is a weakness in, in, in the corporation, right, in, in the corporate setting. But if you go, okay, well, let's real, let's just sit with that word for a second, empathy. Let's set your definition or even my definition at some point over on the side. Let's just sit over there and I say, what, what if there was another way of looking at this? Like, let's just play, like, pl- like let's plug and play a little bit. All right, we're gonna have empathy and then we say, well, what if empathy was a superpower? Like what if we have the topic again, empathy, and the belief is now, now it's a superpower. What would that look like? Look at you smile, right? Instantly you smile. What if it can get you to stand up into that? And in terms of coaching some of our clients, that's a common belief, which you what we talked about earlier. It's no, it's a weakness, but when you have them embody what you are talking about, the body keeps score, there's this congruency that again, pulls people to them and go oh my god i'm not alone i want to follow reva because i i believe in what she's saying deep in my soul and i don't like thinking it's a weakness i think it's a strength and as, as a leader and one especially has a lot of responsibility of communicating when you empower people like that i mean that's the number one thing about leaders not telling people what to do it's empowering other leaders and when you do that for others you naturally will again have people gravitating towards you. And so I encourage you like play with that and listen to this back, right? Play with that idea of like empathy is a superpower. And the ability to connect is a superpower. Oftentimes people think it isn't, but I'm I'm imploring you take that belief and set it aside and plug in another one and you will you will rise.
0: I appreciate that activity. I will be applying it to many things soon. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, No, thank you for that. I know the topic of giving and sometimes maybe like I, in my past, I've done a lot of like community service kind of acts of service, that sort of thing to support people. Like a lot of it's academics, you know, they're, they're grad students. They don't have a lot of money. They, they just need help. <laughs> they aren't really getting the support from the university. It's always no, no blame. But when is the appropriate time to be giving and be of service versus when it's time to be valuing yourself with an actual Dollar amount or something when you're offering your services and and kind of like staying in a in a healthy walk in that line.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a great question, and I, I I gotta be honest with you, I don't know if my answer would be what you're looking for. Uh, it, it may not be. I struggle with that. Um, an empath requires heavy boundaries, and it requires heavy pacing and leading. In other words, you as an empath, you will naturally pace others that you connect with. You'll pace like. We'll, feel, we'll 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 think the same. We'll feel the same. Like we'll immerse each other in each other's experience, and so the person who has done the work on themselves in terms of self awareness and vulnerability to develop that empathy, also has the self awareness. Okay, I'm willing to go into the space to understand somebody, but at what point do I pivot and then lead out of this? Whether it means leaving them there because people will use you for a supply right because you're empathetic they, they'll want they'll think they can manipulate you they'll take your energy because they're just emoting and it's not a lot of people will try to drive this narrative that it's intentional and i don't think it is it's it's just a defense mechanism i think a lot of bad behaviors has positive intentions so for example people are yearning for connection unfortunately there's a lot of bad behavior behind the drive for connection that they've learned throughout their life. And they're just not aware of it. It's just all they know. And it breaks my heart because I will see bad behavior, but will look beyond it and see there's a cry for help there. There is something going on there. And it pulls me in. So we look at it on that level in terms of business. Same thing. It's like I love connect. I'm a connector. I love connecting people. And so how much of myself do I give before it's too much? And there becomes this internal pivot where I go okay I've got to lead myself out of this and see what the ROI is right and if I come back in a deficit of energy and time if I don't have the energy to take care of myself physically if I don't and I sacrificing my health, if I sacrifice um that was energy if I time and I can't spend it with friends and family then I'm not balancing the fulfillment of my experience I'll just at the end of the day I'll be exhausted I don't want to I don't wanna to come to the end of my life and, and resent working, right? I don't wanna resent that. And so I have to come to this pivot point where I go, okay, what's the ROI here? And it's not always money. It could be support and reputation. And so um, for example, I, I, I give a lot of my time to build out my network, right? I wanna support others because I, I, I believe in the reciprocity of that support. And so I, I think the networks can grow, relationships can grow. Um, and, and so I still haven't found always that balance of like, okay, when do I shut this down? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of just going to pause there and say, I don't have the exact answer. I just have to consciously be aware of, all right, who needs my time later? Who's important to me? And so it's I, I work with these other startup, um, these other executives, and a lot of time, when they're trying to pull together a startup, or they're even a CEO of a larger company, the really the first thing you go after is their calendar. It's like, how structured are you? Let me see your work environment. Let me see how you're and it can tell you what's disarray. Um, and so structure begins with you know calendaring things, being organized, you know, having force forethought. That also plays into my passion with parts. I've done I've done a lot of work in understanding parts therapy i think i'm the only executive coach who studied parts therapy for over seven years to understand parts in terms of an organization because the integration of people in an organization is closely related to parts therapy with within an individual that may be broken i can geek out on that stuff go ahead oh, you no
0: know, i'd love to hear more I, i'm i'm not i might be missed. Interpreting in my head, I it's been a while since I've heard about the parts therapy, and I I could be misattributing it, but is that the one where you have kind of like the different characters inside of the individual, and or maybe could you could you just go over what parts therapy is so that I don't give you a story where you're like, no, that's not it.
1: <laughs> no, okay. So I'll, I'll close I'll close the loop on your first question, which you said, you know, what do you do in terms of shutting this down? Okay so to close that loop, it's really about structuring my day. I've gotta have a structured day. I'm Sure, I give myself wiggle room to have extra conversations. I, I do do that, but it, it has to have limits. So that's important. Like if I wanna spend time with friends and family at the end of the day, I better make sure in the morning I get my stuff done and budget it. So at the end of the day, I have that energy and time to do so. That would be my first tip in terms of like, when do you back off? Um, but to your point about parts therapy, I, I look at the human experience in what, what I now I'm going to go into my head for a second. And there's, there are neurological levels at which people experience things like there's the environmental context, there's the emotional context, there's belief systems, there's values. Values is a huge thing that I love to talk about. As you said earlier, you know, vision, value, vows, there's those things. Um, there are yearnings, there are just behavioral things that are different parts. And if, if, for example, um, you look at certain parts throughout your day in terms of how you act. Like I'm sure there's a part of you that showed up this morning that may have been inspired, uh, super creative, super curious, very wise. And this, that's a part of you. And then there might be another part of you that showed up another part of the day that is like super frustrated, like very short fused, um, or even insecure or has doubts, or there may be a part of you that's very comical. There's a part of you that is very soothing. And so all these parts show up. And when you can identify them, again, that's a self-awareness piece that builds empathy. When you can identify them and and know specifically how they play a role in your life, they don't completely define you because there's the parts and then there's the whole. It's like a constellation of different qualities within you that have you painting life in different colors. You know, there's the frustrated person, there's the happy person. We, we have these parts and you accept them, right? They, they have their shadow parts, they have their very empowering parts. I can get frustrated and angry, but yet that part of me could be very destructive. It could be very self sabotaging. But at the same time, when I get angry and need to get something done, I could be hyper focused and very intense and do great work. So there's both sides to it. And you don't really want to get in this position of um, exiling these parts. Like, God, oh, I just got to put it behind me, put it way over here. No, those parts that we think we push away, or even traumatic experiences that we think we push away, there is huge value in them. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked and talked to very powerful people, and they have these exiled parts that have tremendous power in them. They're very self-sabotaging at sometimes, but other times they can be the catalyst for more empathy. They could be the catalyst for, for hyper-awareness, for compassion, for love, commitment, loyalty. When you bring those parts back into your the fold of your soul, things start again realigning, you become congruent, and you develop behaviors and um, coping skills to deal with the shadow parts but you don't exile yourself because when you exile them, you say, "Oh, I'll just go away." Self worth goes down. So there's a lot there. That was a loaded question. Yeah,
0: no, I, I I appreciate all of that answer. And oh my gosh, no, um, you say so many things that resonate with me, and I just don't expect it.
1: <laughs> yeah, this part stuff is great.
0: Oh no, yeah, definitely. Um, it almost, I mean. I mean, it sounds like it's a very major self. As I'm big on like like self love and getting people to actually like themselves. Um, it sounds very much like a self love practice of identifying the parts of yourself that are the different parts and then accepting it and not so much, you know, exiling and pushing away. Which I I love that. <laughs> I'm so glad that there's someone like you out there who's like really challenging the more executive le- level people to um, understand this and to apply it. So that's amazing.
1: <laughs> it's fun. I love it. I'm doing what I love.
0: It shows. <laughs> how How do you feel about meditation practices? Like, do you have one? Do you feel like those kinds of things are helpful in identifying these different parts or anything like that?
1: Absolutely. I don't, um, in fact, you said you're into, yo- you do yoga training and the breathing and like, that's great. Like everybody should have something that allows them to go into a state of detachment. Um, and just to be the observer, I, I I believe, again, our our highest, most creative thought process is just the state of observing internally. Like, how can I just observe myself be the be the watcher and in order to kind of develop that um it has taken some meditation it has taken some, um i'm not good at it i'm not great at it actually to be a, it's some variation of that but i have my mornings while i literally sit in the same place at the same time drinking a cup of coffee and i'll literally just stare at the wall and for me it's guys call it their nothing box right it's going into my nothing box and just observe and think and bask in creativity. I was talking earlier to a CEO and we were talking about um, meditation and, geez, I just completely blanked out. We were talking about meditation and breathing, oh, and art as well, finding opportunities. I think you mentioned it even earlier that art is a huge catalyst to creativity. And I think all healing happens in this creative space that allows things to naturally dance together. It's, it's, I mean, it it just brings things together in a creative when you're in a state of creativity, you're in a state of healing, I believe. And so when I sit down and I have my cup of coffee and I'm just in this silence, um, I just creatively allow my thoughts to kind of play together and I pull them apart and like, Oh, let's just see what, what this comes apart as. And, you know, readdress it this way. And so I just watch it. And in the being of the observer, it becomes more fluid. So for example, if I had a bad experience, it's not, oh, that's just the way things are anymore. It's more fluid. It's more detached. Like, oh, that was a moment where two things just kind of came together and then fell back apart and they'll come together again. Right. And and so it, it's a lot different because the body can be very rigid. The thoughts can be very rigid. And when that happens, people break down. They have unrealistic expectations. They have breaking moments. They get very, they're very snappy. Um, And so in my meditative state, um, I don't do the posing, I don't do that. I would like to do it a little bit more. One thing actually I do need to do a little bit better is my box breathing. Um, Mm. Mm -hmm. You said belly breathing, I resonate that. One of my colleagues does um, uh, belly breathing. And I pick her brain all the time about that. So I I have improvements to make, but I think it's huge in terms of learning how to get into states of vulnerability and creativity because it's outside of our comfort zones internally, mentally and emotionally that we find that creative space. Vulnerability just isn't saying, well, here's my life story and I'm risking embarrassment or something like that, right? Vulnerability is this, that for me, the ability to let go of what I've experienced or what my convictions may be and think differently from a different perspective or have the beginner's mind of like, Ooh, can I add to this? Can I subtract? Can I take this away? So it's this playing with it. This again, I call it the plug and play. Like, can I, can I just plug this in or disconnect this? And that's an observer's perspective that I practice with meditation. I mean, I, I, again, I'm not the best at it, but, it's how I play with it in the morning and that's how I try to grow as a person.
0: No, that's that's awesome. And you know, you say you say you're not that good of it. And I, I always um kind of push back on on people like you who say that because I'd actually argue you're quite good at it. And it's it's not because of the traditional. I think a lot of people will will define meditation as more traditional, like you sit on your, your meditation mat or your your quiet space, and then you just watch all the thoughts in silence. But I actually, like, one of the things I try to teach a lot of times is how all sorts of ways to do meditation that are not sitting in a corner by yourself or in silence. I genuinely believe that life can be a meditation practice. And I do, you know, I I really promote walking meditations and, and just treating your life like a meditation and that observer of like, what is, I'm feeling angry right now, like that's a meditative practice. The identifying of your emotion in that moment, I feel like personally. Now, and not everyone may agree with me, but that's just my own theory on it. At least it's like you being able to talk about how you know you're identifying the different parts of you. Like that to me really sounds like a meditative practice. It's just a living meditative practice rather than a silent or a uh, more subtle, just still kind of practice.
1: Yeah, I think I actually probably the first time I learned that was from my mom. Um, She finds she finds her peace gardening. And so that act that active meditation, right, where people and then I actually experienced I learned it from her listening at a young and then I used to do a lot of not in school or anything. But I think if I was ever going to be really good at something like Olympic level stuff, I had a natural ability to run. Um, not fast, don't get me wrong, um, but long, (laughs) long distance. Um, I, I held the record at my high school for over 25 years.
0: Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and so it was, it was unofficial. It wasn't for the school, but I had the coaches, you know, recorded it and put it up in the gym and it stayed there for 25 years. And, but I never nurtured that ability because I rather play football and, you know, Stuff like that. And then my dad didn't do a lot of running and I wanted to follow him everywhere. But you can get in those active meditations where it's gardening, running, and you get in this flow and and things just come to you and you think of things. I mean, a lot of people experience in the shower, right? Where they just get in the shower and they're like, ah, oh, and they let go and they go, ooh, idea. <laughs> right? That's, that's the closest I can come to it with people who don't experience it intentionally at times. But if there's an activity whether sitting peacefully, running, driving saves my life. I have a daughter who lives two hours away and I go see her every week. Um, number one, because I love her to death and I won't miss a week without seeing her. But the driving it has been a godsend because for some people can't people can't stand doing that all the time. But I need that focus because driving come very I don't know, don't get me wrong, I don't check out and get in car accidents and stuff like that. But it's still a very Um, active place that allows just you to observe and just flow with the situation. It's probably actually what makes me a good driver. I've never been in an accident. Still snuck on. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's wonderful. Are you going to get to see your daughter for Thanksgiving?
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, We'll we'll be together.
0: (laughs) When it comes to, you know, your, your, judging people's pitches or you're helping to kind of pick out what what might be the best group to recommend or might best new startup to recommend to someone else for investing or for your own decisions and investing how much do you feel like intuition plays a role in that versus the facts and only the facts when it comes to like You make the final call for like, yep, I'm going to recommend this group or I'm going to this entrepreneur coming up like I have a really strong feeling like there's something there. Maybe you don't have all the data, but like that intuitive knowing that or, you know, or is that just silly?
1: (laughs) No, one could. I mean, that's a that's a very, very wise question. Um, And one will validate the other. Let me tell you what that means. So I someone can have very high likability. Right. It's like I like this person. They give good vibes. But then once you start doing their due diligence of, you know, unpacking the business they're putting together, it's like, man, this is falling apart. Um, but again, once you understand yourself parts, you can distinguish, you know, between, well, look, Hey, your strengths are with people. Clearly not you. I'm just talking about a hypothetical person, this hypothetical person. It's like your strengths is clearly being a leader. It isn't coming up with a great idea or a business plan, but that could be saved. Like that could come back around. Like, and uh, there's been a lot of great companies that their leader was high, has high likability. Um, people would follow them to the ends of the earth, and they won't pivot in their company, and the company fails. There's been the other, same type of person. They pivot, they listen, and they go, oh, okay, market's giving me something else. I'm going to go in another direction. There's a company I work with recently that did that during the COVID. They were doing one thing. Pre-COVID, then during COVID, they listen to the market. They pivot their technology, and they boom, it blew up. That is a reflection on the leader, and I can't tell you how much how many times I hear this when I'm about to. Reach out. This is golden. You can cut this out and share this. Investors and people who are industry in the industry year after year will constantly say we're looking for CEOs who are who have a smart idea who have the intellectual capacity to to create a business model. And then the leader needs to be greater than the, the two other points, because they're the one who captures the market, drives the team, creates the messaging to connect with other people. But yet the investors, they don't listen to that piece. They think they just need to get smarter with business, have a smarter idea, keep it from others. Right. And say, oh, can't tell anybody, which I mean, to a certain extent, that's some of that support. But for the most part, they're very closed off. But then you have others who like, oh, they got a mediocre idea. They got uh we'll, we'll just learn it as we go mentality in terms of business. But they're tremendous leaders and good people. And everything shows up for them to capture more market than the better idea and the smarter businessman or woman. And so the really good VCS know this. The real good angel investors know this. I know this is like their idea isn't the best, but man, they sell it and they communicate it and they're getting traction in the market. I'm going with them despite I know that's a better product. I mean you hear this off I don't know this is not my opinion, but I hear this all the time. Look at Apple, for example. I have an Apple and based on what I've read and what I've learned what I've learned about Apple and Samsung, Samsung is a way better phone. Now I haven't done the research because again I'm an Apple guy, I I, I I like it. So you'll see that a lot. You'll see it on both ends of the spectrum where you have a kind of a middle road product, best in practices in terms of business, great person to the moon, moonshot. Then you see the other side of it where it's like, ooh, this is a 10 out of 10 product, but the CEO is living in a silo, and then they end up in the gutter, right? So it's it's really it's it's got to be good enough. The product has to be good enough. And that's measurable. The math is easy, actually, at times. But who's driving this? And you can you can you could see it if you're self-aware. And again, there's more people who go on pure data. Now in life science, where I grew up in, right? Life science, that's very measurable. And and a lot of bigger companies are looking to acquire that information. But outside of life, science driving a business depends on on the leader.
0: <laughs> this is Ranger. She she wanted to come in and say hello. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. Look at that face.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you give everybody kisses, huh? <laughs> <laughs> She's a good girl. No, that I love that answer. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's super helpful, and and it very much resonates. And I I really appreciate because I know you you obviously have an expansive amount of experience, extensive experience with all of the the investors and seeing these people who are successful versus not. And so it's it's nice to hear that from your perspective. You you do value the intuitive side a bit, and it's more than just really the product. It's really got you got to have that good leader
1: balance yeah. yeah
0: yeah well i'll i'll wrap it up with 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 well there's three real small questions one you've you've answered for me in the past and that so the things i was going to ask you was what is your favorite self-care practice which i didn't ask before so mm. this is the less easy one but
1: <laughs> self-care probably just being outside being outside yeah. um and truth be told i gotta nap sometimes Right I love that. I love a
0: good nap.
1: That makes nice. uh, me happy to hear you say that. It's <laughs> very, it's 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 undervalued. A, na- a good nap from time to time, a power nap is is good. Um, so being outside, again, being very responsible for my time. There's no greater value in life than time. You need to. I feel I need to be responsible with that. I need to protect it for others and myself. Um, and of course, I'm not, I'm not very rigid. I'm not a drill sergeant. But, um, I I do need to be, I love efficiency. I do. I really love efficiency. That's, that's, that's the end of the day. If I've had an efficient day and I always make my bed. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) you got to have little wins and and self-care. You got to find the wins. You got to think too often. Self-help gurus go, Oh, think big. But I'm really saying that oftentimes thinking big is the catalyst for, um, uh, procrastination. For me, um, in making a transition, I like to think small. Like, I need to go to the gym, right? I'm tired. I'm hungry. But what's the first thing I need to do? I need to go into my room, right? I need to go into my room and put on my shorts. Once the momentum is going, you're on your way. And so in those moments of pivoting, for me, that's that's healthy. So I have to say some, something in, in, those, in the details there would be my greatest self-care. I haven't thought about it, but I do manage my time uh, and make sure the day is balanced with friends, exercise, and work. And so that I'll be fulfilling, too. Don't do things that don't fulfill you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the one that you have answered before, but what is the book you would recommend most to read right now?
1: I'm reading right now. I, I actually shared this with you. and I'm just, Well, actually, I'm in the second phase of reading it. Is the Leading with Heart book. I think you said you got it. What's that?
0: <laughs> I got it right away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, lo- I love that book. Um, the other, I've got books recommended all the time. I've got um, The Body Keep Score, which is very intellectual book. Um, but those are the two that are top of mind and are in my hands as we speak. I got a whole and bookshelf author, of books. So.
0: The author for the um was John Baird, right? for yeah. the yeah. <laughs> leading yeah. with heart rate. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank you so much for everything. Take care. Have a good Thanksgiving. You
1: too. See you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. If you're interested in connecting with Brian, you can find him on LinkedIn and check him out at some of the events held by the Bay Angels, which you can find at bayangels.com or the Heroic Voice Academy, which is at heroicvoice.com. As always, the light in me sees and honors the light in you. Bye-bye.